take your Bibles this afternoon, and uh, we are going to conclude our sermon series in the One Another's in Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4. So over the last month, we have been looking at some of the One Another commands in the New Testament. There are many others which we haven't unfortunately been able to, to look at. But the aim with these messages is to paint a picture of what the church is called to be. It is also a little bit of an introduction into the, um, the sermon series that we will start next year in the book of Ephesians. But my prayer is that New Life Church would experience God together and that we would know of the blessings of walking together as a community. So, so far we have seen how we should serve one another to ease each other's burdens. We have seen how we should encourage one another in this discouraging world. We've seen how we should be filled with the Holy Spirit and exhort each other in song with great joy and thankfulness, and that we should sincerely and prayerfully come alongside our brothers and sisters and help them discern right from wrong in their lives and be a humble, practical help in making disciples of Jesus. And this morning, we come to the issue of forgiveness the New Testament commands us to forgive one another. And one place this occurs is in Ephesians chapter 4. And we'll be looking at verse 31 to verse 32. If you haven't already done so, I invite you to open your Bibles there. We are going to begin this morning by reading from verse 17. If you would stand with me, we will read from verse 17 to verse 32 in respect for God's word. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But this is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Father, we pray for your help today as we look at this very practical 
and very important virtue of Christian love. We pray, Father, that you would help us, Lord, not just to be the hearers today, but to, do the, to, but to be the doers of your word as well. We ask for your Spirit's help to help us understand so that we can apply these truths and to perform them, Lord, in a way that, that honors you, in a way that brings glory to your name. But Lord, please, Lord, we pray, help us to be convinced today from your word. May your spirit open our ears. Lord, we pray that if there is sin in our heart that we need to repent of, if there's anything keeping us from hearing from you today, from being ministered to by your Holy Spirit, please, Lord, grant us repentance and trust in your word today. We pray for your help. I pray for your help as I preach, Lord. As, as Robert prayed, let none of your words today fall to the ground, we ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. So I'm sure you've been following the, the news recently, but according to the, the daily news on Wednesday evening, seven pro-Palestinian protesters were arrested in New York City for trying to disrupt the annual Christmas tree lighting ceremony. About 500 protesters were, were left in the crowd when there was a, a face-off with police and multiple people were, were pepper sprayed by, by officers in the ensuing confrontation. And this year certainly has revealed the, the worst sides of people. From social media to in public, people have been unkind, people have been unloving, people have been uncompassionate to one another. In a world that promotes revenge over reconciliation, personal gain over kindness, and apathy over compassion, these, these one another's in the New Testament are a, are a timely reminder for us all that by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one towards another. In a growing hostile environment, people need to know that they can have peace in this broken world. And that we as a local church exist to show a different way of life and a different Lord of life. The Ephesian church here that we're looking at today in the middle of a metropolis in, in Asia Minor that was bursting full of pagan worship seemed to, to start out well. In fact, they were known as as Christ's church. But later on, divisions started to creep into the church. They had forgotten the, the purpose behind their mission and worst of all, had forgotten to carry out their actions in love. In other words, they were simply going through the motions. They did everything else right. They, they refused to surrender the cultural norms which worshiped pagan gods such as, as Artemis they persevered under heavy trials, but they had not the love in which they had started, as we see in 1 Corinthians 13. And under these circumstances, Paul writes this letter to the Ephesian church, and he encourages the Ephesians to consider others in humility and to love one another. And Paul uses the first three chapters of Ephesians to give this church a few doctrinal reminders but here in chapter 4, he chooses to go the practical route and also to remind them of why 
they carry out certain duties. And although we do not live in a different, although we do live in a different culture and a very different historical world than that of the Ephesians, the, the encouragement to seek revenge has permeated the history of mankind. The idea that fills our media to, to clap back, to, to say the last word, to argue with friends and complete strangers on Facebook and, and leave comments to prove that you're right. The principle, the principle behind all of these is really to be rooted in, in anger has, has existed not, not just since the time of the Ephesians, but throughout the history of, of sin, throughout the history of mankind. And instead of taking the prideful, wrathful root, Paul reminds believers about kindness. He reminds believers about forgiveness. And after all, Jesus has shown both to us. And so why shouldn't we in turn do the same to others? In Ephesians 4 verse 31 and verse 32, the Apostle Paul, he wants to teach us how we can live out the, the grace of God in a very hostile world, in a, in a world that is very much unkind. And he's also teaching us how we can enhance the, the unity of the body in our daily living and how we can and how we are to distinctively live as Christians in this world and bring glory to God. And in this whole area of the attitude of our hearts expressed in our words and actions that, that Paul is addressing. And my first point we see in verse 31 this afternoon, the opposite of forgiveness. Here we see the opposite of forgiveness. Look at verse 31 in your Bibles. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. So in verse 31, Paul talks about things that are opposite to forgiveness. The, the NIV says, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Now the word malice can also be translated as, as wickedness. And in this verse, we have ways we, we often react when, when people hurt us, um, if we let the hurt take over, it can create a, a gnawing resentment or an or a internal rage that, that leads to other horrible sins that displays itself also in destructive behavior and destructive speech. And these things can consume us. They can destroy our relationships. We see the word bitterness mentioned there, wrath and anger. They, they are fundamental attitudes of the heart. Um, with the word clamor there and slander are the ways in which our, our heart projects these, um, these feelings, these sinful characteristics. They, the outlet comes out in our mouth. And Matthew Henry comments that, that bitterness, wrath, and anger refer to violent inward resentment against others. And clamor is extreme speech by which bitterness, rage, and anger vent themselves. By which anger vent themselves. An apostle does not urge us to, to give up being angry altogether. Okay, Look at verse 26 there. He talks about exercising righteous anger in an appropriate occasion. So he's not saying we mustn't be angry, 
but he's talking about these attitudes of our heart that we need to protect ourselves against as they are expressed even in our, in our words. And the kind of anger that Paul wants us to put away is characterized by wickedness, is characterized by, by malice, this consuming feeling of hatred that, that seeks only the destruction of, of others and, and not their restoration to fellowship with God and with other people. And malice regularly characterizes human anger. Um, so we must keep our anger in check by the power of the, the Spirit of God. In verse 31, the word slander translates the Greek word blasphemia. And that's the same word from which we get the English term blasphemy. We blaspheme the Lord when we tell falsehoods about His character or we, or we curse Him. And similarly, we blaspheme or slander other people when we curse them, when we spread rumors about them or we lie about them or their, or their intentions or we lie about their, their acts. And these acts are completely unchristian. They are completely opposite to how a Christian should behave. If we were to use John 13 verse 34 and 35, which we looked at last week as our as our template for being a witness of Christ in this world, then it would be true to say the opposite as well, wouldn't it? By this, bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, and malice, will all people know that you are disciples of the devil if you have hatred towards one another? Which of these characteristics describes you? Are you experiencing any of the things that, that Paul describes here? Is there any bitterness that is maybe poisoning your soul? Is there rage? Is there anger? Is there shouting that wells up inside you because of what someone has, has done to you? Are you talking about them slanderously? Are you, are you lying about them, speaking behind their back, or deliberately putting them down and undermining them? Is there malice? Is there wickedness in you? Is there a, a spirit that seeks revenge? And God's word is telling us here that these things are opposite to forgiveness. These things are opposite to what Christians should be doing and behaving. They destroy our lives and they destroy the lives of others. So Paul is opposing a forgiveness to bitterness, rage, and malice. And understanding this, I think, helps us to, to be clearer about what forgiveness means in the in the very next verse. Look at verse 32. He talks about here the attitude of forgiveness. He says in verse 32, be kind to one another, compassionate, forgiving one another. Now, as Christians, we are called to be kind to one another. Notice that word there. We are called to be tender-hearted. We're called to forgive one another. But this cannot be done Apart from the gospel. Now, love for the gospel is, a, is the root cause and the enabler for Christians to obey this command. And because of our trust, because of our acceptance of the gospel, we have been given a new life. We speak about that often. We use that word often. Our, our church is named after that. But if we have this new life in Christ, it's because of the gospel that really changes the way that we behave. We are no longer slaves to sin. But the scriptures call us slaves to righteousness. We are now in Christ. 
In Christ, God has made us a new person. And living that life involves being renewed. We don't behave like the world behaves. We don't behave like the devil wants us to behave. We don't respond like that. It means becoming more and more what God has called us to be in Christ. And forgiveness is part of what it means to become a new person in Christ. And Paul says, become kind to one another. Be compassionate to one another. Forgive one another. And please don't miss this. In the context, Paul is writing to the Ephesian church here. And they are to be kind to, to one another. He's talking to the church here. Be kind to one another. Be compassionate to each other. Forgive each other. That assumes the principle that people are going to sin against you. That people are going to irritate you. That people are, are going to get on the wrong side of you. Make sure you're willing to be kind to them. Our love and our kindness for other believers should make us eager to forgive them. Our scripture tells us in 1 John chapter 2, verse 9, Whoever hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever hates his brother or his sister is still in darkness. We should be loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. If you do, then you long for their restoration. You long and are eager to, to forgive them and to be restored and to ask for their pardon. And this attitude will be present whether they sin against you once or whether they do it repeatedly, whether they do it many times. And here Paul describes two attitudes in this verse that belong to this, this new life. And the two attitudes are there, kindness and compassion. Kindness and compassion. Tenderhearted is a word there that can also be translated as compassion. And the first one, being kind. What does it mean to be kind? Well, it means to be benevolent. It means to be good-willed to someone who, who needs your help. And our culture sees kindness sometimes as, as a weakness. But the Bible says the complete opposite. Kindness involves loving everyone, not just those who, who treat us well, not just those who we get on well with, not just those who come from the same culture as us, not just those who speak the same language as us. We are to be kind to everyone. In Paul's days, the word kind was, was used to describe the, the actions of rulers and those in authority who were able to show benevolence towards their, their subjects and their, um, their clients. It was often used of, of God himself, the one who was completely in charge of this universe. We see God is able to be kind because he is, he is strong. It was often also used of God himself. So kindness is an attitude that you have when you have something to give. And you deliberately choose to, to give it away. Why should believers in Christ be kind? Well, I think it's obvious because we have so much to give. We really have so much to give. And through, Christ, uh, through, through the Lord's death, through his resurrection, we have life, we have salvation, we have freedom, we have the riches of God's grace in abundance. We have more than most of this world has. And through the riches of God's grace in abundance, we need to be kind to be giving that grace to others. While we may, we may feel weak 
and we may feel that we are insufficient ourselves, we need to remember who we are in Christ, who we are and what we have when it comes to the gospel. This should enable us to be kind to one another. And that means through that kindness we forgive. And forgiveness is not a display of weakness. It is a display of kindness. It is a display of strength. We are also, notice there, to be compassionate. We are to be tender-hearted. And this literally means to have healthy guts. Okay, remember that. To, be, to have healthy guts, to be tender-hearted. And Paul is talking really here about our gut reaction. He's talking about our emotions that come from our gut. You know, he's saying that believing in Christ can and it should make a difference to our feelings, to our emotions. In, in particular, in the context here, our feelings of, of rage, our feelings of, of bitterness, our feelings of, of malice, they should be replaced by feelings of compassion and feelings of tender-heartedness. And while this can be a slow process, I'm not saying it happens automatically, like you're just rubbing a genie and your, your emotions change, we know that God is at work in us. And this can be a process. And by His Spirit, through the power of the Spirit, this can happen. And that our healing and our emotions can indeed go a very long way to enabling us to be tender-hearted and forgiving towards others. As Christians, we are called to be kind to each other. We are called to be kind tender-hearted and forgiving to one another. As I said earlier, this cannot be done apart from the gospel. And love for the gospel is the root cause and the enabler for Christians to obey this command. We cannot obey this command without understanding and embracing and submitting to the gospel of Jesus. And the place to begin in solving our human relationships is not, is not with each other, but with our relationship to God. Our relationship with our brothers and sisters will reflect our relationship to God. It always does. There is always a vertical problem that must be taken care of first before the horizontal problem can be solved. So let us start with this vertical problem with God. Verse 30 says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. That is the place where we need to start. We need to do what is right. We want not to grieve the Holy Spirit of God. So this, morning, this afternoon I ask you, how is your relationship with Christ? Do you have this attitude that is required to forgive? Do you know the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are you a new creation in Christ? What is your, your gut feeling when you are sinned against, when you are wronged? Can you identify with rage and bitterness and malice? Are you able to overcome those through the, through the power of the Holy Spirit and replace those feelings with, with tenderness, compassion, and kindness, and forgiveness? We are called to be kind to one another. How is your relationship with Christ today? Without the vertical relationship being right, the horizontal relationship will always suffer. And then lastly, at the end of verse 32, 
We see the demonstration of forgiveness here. We see the demonstration of forgiveness. Look at verse 32. One word there that we need to highlight and underline. Just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. And here God himself provides us with a model of forgiveness. A model that we can follow. And Paul says we should forgive as God also forgave you in Christ. And Paul has already described God's forgiveness in this letter. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1. In Ephesians chapter 1, in verse 6, he says, To the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. In Him we have the redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. And this forgiveness is at the the heart of our relationship with God. If you've never experienced the forgiveness of God, then you have never experienced the gospel of God. God has erased our sins. If we have put our faith in this wonderful gift, He has erased our sins. He has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. And that, that is limitless, folks. The east never meets the west. That's how far our sins have been removed. And he has raised us from death to life. He has been incredibly kind and compassionate to us. A kindness that we did not deserve. We now face a secure and a glorious future through Jesus Christ. Because God has forgiven us. We stand now reconciled to a holy God because of Christ's forgiveness. We have a reason and we have a strength now to forgive others. As God has erased our sins and sees us as holy and and blameless through Christ, so we can and should seek to do the same to others, to erase the sins of others from our ledger of, of wrongs that people may have committed against us. And this is where it's very important to be clear about what forgiveness is and what forgiveness isn't. Forgiveness means erasing the sins of others from your personal ledger of wrongs. Never to remember them again. Forgiveness that doesn't, our forgiveness doesn't depend on other people. It's something that we, we choose to do. We have the power to do it. Nobody can stop us from doing this. Of course, there are other things that can flow from that that, that that often happen alongside forgiveness. Things like repentance, things like acknowledgement and reconciliation and, and human justice and the restoration of relationships. These things do depend on others. That's not only us. And these things are certainly good to pray for and, and to pursue. But let's be clear, you can forgive somebody without these things happening. You can still choose to forgive somebody. You can erase somebody's sins from your personal ledger of of wrongs, whether or not they repent, whether or not they they reconcile with you, or whether or not justice is even done, or whether or not the, the relationship is restored. Forgiveness is something 
you're not dependent on others to do. It's up to you. It's yours to give. Now you may ask, well, isn't God's forgiveness also connected to, to other things like repentance and reconciliation? Yes, it is. But that's why we need to be precise as we read Paul's words here. We're told to forgive like God. We're not told to be like God in every possible way that's connected with forgiveness. Actually, when you think about it, that would be impossible. For example, we don't, we don't have to act like God by granting our Holy Spirit to, to people that we forgive or, or leading them to repentance. We don't have the power to do that. We don't have to act like God by bringing unity and reconciliation to the world all by ourselves. In other words, when we forgive, we don't also have to act as the omnipotent, supreme Lord of creation and salvation. We don't have to control everything and everybody. We can control ourselves. We can control the decisions and the choices that we make. When we forgive, reconciliation and repentance and restoration of relationships is, is really in the Lord's hands. And we pray for that and we rejoice when these things happen, when justice happens. And we can seek Him and ask the Lord for this. But they don't always happen. And we trust the Lord for that. We can't make them happen. And so Paul's instructions to forgive like God is an instruction to forgive. It's an instruction, plain and simple, to forgive. Our forgiveness does not depend on others. And that's why it's so powerful. And that's why it is so powerful. I want to read a story, an illustration, an example I found in a book called Tramp for the Lord, a story about Corrie ten Boom, who you may have, have heard about. Corrie was a, a Christian lady who helped Jews escape the, the Holocaust, and eventually she was put in um, a prison camp by the Nazis. But after the war is over, she actually meets with one of her, her captors. And this is her story about fighting for forgiveness in her book. She, she writes, she says, It was 1947 and I'd come from Holland to defeat Germany with the message that God forgives. It was the truth that they needed most to hear in that bitter, bombed-out land. And I gave them my favorite mental picture, because maybe because the sea is never far from Hollanders' mind. I like to think that where forgiven sins were thrown. When we confess our sins, I said, God cast them into the deepest ocean, gone forever. And even though I cannot find a scripture for it, I believe God then places a sign out there that says, no fishing allowed. And the solemn faces stared back at me, not quite daring to believe. And that's when I saw him work, working his way forward against the others. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat the next, a blue uniform and a cap with skull and crossbones. It came back with a rush. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were. That place was Ravensbrook. And the man who was making his way forward 
had been a god, one of the most cruel gods. Now he was in front of me, hand thrust out. And he said, a fine message, Frolin. How good it is to know that. As you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among those thousands of women? But I remembered him. I was face to face with one of my captors, and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. No, he did not remember me. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fraulein. Again, the hand came out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there. I whose sins had again and again been forgiven and could not forgive. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out. But to me, it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. And still I stood there with coldness, clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. But you supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust out my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands. And the former God and the former prisoner, I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. But even then, I realized it was not my love. I had tried and did not have the power, but it was the power of the Holy Spirit. Because God has forgiven us, we have a reason and the strength to forgive others. Forgiveness is God's gift, and we can do nothing to earn it. Nevertheless, those whom the Lord forgives understands the depth of our depravity, and that we are wholly undeserving of His mercy. And they realize that if the perfect Creator forgives them, then they who are imperfect can do no less. And through Christ's example of humility and His example of loving kindness that He has shown to us, we, he, the Lord has given us a, a mission and He has given us a, a mindset that, that often runs counterculture to the world. But nevertheless, when we choose kindness and, and forgiveness, we allow others to experience the grace of God. And we spur others to do the same. 
We spur other believers on to behave in the same way. A New Life Church exists to show, I said last week, to show a different way of life, a different Lord of life. And this Lord today is teaching us that He has not only reconciled us to Himself, but He has reconciled us to each other. He's creating these one another love out of one another pains. As we saw last week, let me remind you again, John 13, 34. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. So pray with me as we, as we meditate on these one another's again this week as we think about them. And if you've missed any of them, they are there on our website that you can download and listen to. But pray with me that we as a church would experience God together. And that we would know of the blessings of walking together as a community. That we would know of the blessings of walking together and being fruitful together, being fruitful witnesses for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that by our love, people will know that we are indeed His disciples. Amen. Lord, we do thank you today again for the wonderful gospel of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we're reminded again, Lord, of what you have done for us. And we're reminded again that this is not something that we do in our own strength. We are reminded again that because we have been forgiven, we are to forgive. And who are we to withhold forgiveness when we ourselves know who we were standing in front of you, Lord, without any excuse, without any hope? We who deserved death, we who deserved judgment, but in your goodness and your grace, Lord, you have given us eternal life. You have forgiven us. For those who have called upon the name of the Lord for the forgiveness of our sins, you have forgiven us and you have cleansed us from all unrighteousness. And Lord, we are thankful today for that. We pray that we would be reminded of that as we come to the table now, as we partake in this holy communion, may we be reminded of this forgiveness that we have received at the cross of Calvary. So Lord, we pray, take your word today and imprint it on our hearts for your glory, and for our joy. We ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen.